0: Last week, we talked with a business owner about partnering with your chosen nonprofit for world change. This week, we talk with an organizational expert about the importance of bringing systems together with the soft and squishy side of leadership. After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes?
1: A job change and a couple of pivots into for profit leadership later. We're on the search to get that question answered.
0: If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you.
1: We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa.
0: Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement.
1: Welcome back to the podcast. We are so excited because today we are joined by Sherita Morrison. Sherita is an amazing woman. She has 20 years of experience helping youth, young adults, families in both the nonprofit and the government sectors. Um, she is a founder of Igniter's Institute. She's the principal consultant there. She is incredibly smart, systems minded. When our first conversation talking together, I was like, this is someone that people need to know. So Sharita, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you and hello everyone I'm so excited to be here. I thank you for allowing me to take part in this conversation with you all on today. And my hope for today my wish for everyone is that um, what shared will enlighten the work that you do as you look to serve those in in your community. That's oh.
0: awesome. Well, what we love to do to get started is to just have you share a little bit about yourself. Kind of what's your backstory? How did you get where you are today? And then as you uh, go into it, we'll dig in a little bit and see what awesome nuggets we can pull out. So awesome. go ahead and share a little bit about yourself.
2: The, awesome. So um, I'll start uh, from the end first. So I run a company, the Igniters Institute, where um, I am privileged and honored to serve some of. Um, the nation's greatest leaders. And I say the nation's greatest leaders because I am able to serve those who are at the helm of not only business, but also their home. So the Igniter's Institute provides uh, support and services to uh, leaders and especially Christian leaders who are looking to advance um, business, their personal businesses, business in their home and uh, in their workplace. Um, But in addition to that, I also serve and have consulted leaders in uh, very large organizations. So I've worked with uh, the European Space Agency, State University, I've worked with um, the local school systems uh, in government capacities and great things like that. But where it began um, was uh, with my story in Baltimore. So I was born to a 17 year old woman uh, who um, didn't quite know what to do in the world. And one of the things that I often lend hand to is that my mother sought services and support so that she could raise myself and my sisters. And um, that kind of spearheaded when I was, of course, old enough to to provide work uh, in the health and human services arena. So I began in uh, in the mental health world, um, providing supports to young adults um, who needed more supports for uh, their mental health uh, supports education. And then I kind of branched off to later on and served um, adults and families in uh, the world of workforce and workforce training. Um, And ultimately, one thing happened for me uh, there, I had the privilege of working with men and women who were receiving uh, government assistance, um, men and women who had uh, been imprisoned and a number of things. And the one thing I learned, uh, (laughs) and I shared this with Lisa before, was that I was working with people who essentially my job was to teach them workforce development skills and get them prepared for the workforce. Um, But one thing that we had never anticipated is that the workforce is a little cold Mm. and uh, there's a need to have structure, um, a need for leaders to be reflective, uh, more engaging, uh, have a lot of integrity. And um, so as I was sending these really amazing people who were desperate to go to work back out into the workforce, they were coming back and telling me about this mean and cold world. So ultimately I went and got my uh, master's degree from American University. Long and short, um, I uh, branched off and started my business. So, There's a good depth to the story, but Mm -hmm. for the sake of time, um, I just, you know, like jumping into this had a lot to do with my own personal experiences and then my professional beliefs around um, the nurturing of the people that we're serving, both inside of our workforce, um, those we hire and serve, and uh, those who are our customer base, those who are coming to us to receive supports and services.
0: I love that because I think a lot of business owners and nonprofit leaders get so focused on what the end result is, right? Like the whether it's the profits or whether it's the cause that they're trying to do. And then it can be so easy to forget about the people who are right in the front row in the front lines of what you're doing. Those are the people that we're called to serve too as leaders of the organizations. And it's really cool that that's been a big piece of what you do. Um, I have, I had a question that I want to just jump in right away. So you, you talk about you have a lot of experience in pulling people out of really tough situations yes. and trying to – and we know that can be messy, right? That can be really, really messy because, you know, they're they're hurt. They're in a and not a great spot, and then you're trying to help them move forward. So what are some of the big lessons that you learn from that? Because I know, like, a lot of our listeners are from the church world or just nonprofit world that are working with people in different cultures and, and stuff where things just aren't going well. And so you want to help them, but they also – They need to do stuff too so you can't just give them everything right so what have you learned from that
2: so that's a really great question and i think it's one um question where leaders um whether you're leading on the front line in the middle or at the executive level is understanding that we have to meet people where they're most receptive to receiving what we have for them Hmm. um I used to be one of those people where I said, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, you know, like I really did this for myself. And then when I, when I came into a space of maturity and wisdom, I realized like, well, that's not reality. (laughs) (laughs) That's not, that's not honest either. You know, like we, we all are surrounded by community and understanding that you know, if you're a nonprofit or a and you're looking to serve people who are in tight spots that we do, there are multiple touches, right? So as an agency or an entity or an individual, you offer some aspect of that touch, but there are other variables that exist in the world that also mm. have some influence and impact um, on the person. So for me, the first part of that was just recognizing and really trying to understand Understand where people were in their mindset. Because if you can understand where they are and give them empathy, give them support, it's all the soft and squishy stuff, uh, <laughs> empathy and support, then you have a better chance at being able to move them. I worked with folks who I thought would never do you know, anything. And, and I know that's probably not the nicest thing to say, but there were people who I'm like, I'm like, I wish you would just go and move. And it seemed like they were stagnant. And those were the very phone calls I received a year, two years, three years later saying, thank you so much Hmm. for staying on top of me. I know I didn't look like I was doing anything now then, but I took what you said into consideration. I took the service. And support into consideration, and it helped me reflect when it was really time when I felt like it was time for me to go. Because mm-hmm. you know the, the the old saying is you can lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink. Right. Uh, well, you know we have the well of water, and um, we create the journey, the guide, the map. You know we create the signs that say go this way, but ultimately they still have to get themselves there. So we can be their cheerleader we can uh be their support you know their safe haven when we told them to go left and they went right Uh, (laughs) um you know but uh, i think that sometimes people just need a warm space in it and I'm, i'm not an advocate of coddling or um or uh, I, I'm I'm short of the word that I want to use. But enabling. Enabling, <laughs> that's the word I'm looking for. I'm I'm not one who I'm not a, a believer in enabling, um, but I've grown to this space where I am one who I feel like sometimes even adults need someone to just kind of rest in, like nestle in and say. You know, I know I'm doing the really dumbest things in the world, or I'm not making the best choices or the wisest decisions. Mm. But um, I just need a listening ear for someone who has compassion and a heart to kind of hear me out and get me moving. And I usually find when I'm when I'm able to give that, and I've been able to give that even to leaders, believe it or not, uh, even to those who are in the systems who are who have screwed up royally and maybe not done everything well. Um, Even for those individuals, once they have that and they feel that there's trust and there's comfort, I usually find that there is um, movement in a positive direction. And Mm -hmm. the ear for listening is open because um, there's a sense of trust in the space.
1: Yeah, it's like developing that relationship and that trust first so that they're willing to hear what you have to say moving forward. Is so mm-hmm. important because I think a lot of times as leaders it's easy to lean toward that I'm just gonna tell you what to do and where to go.
0: And expect you to do and it. And expect you to do it without <laughs> you really you don't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> without really mm-hmm. build um, building into that relationship something that's trustworthy. So that they know that. Um I do have a question for you. So you mentioned that, you know, in nonprofit work and in, in other work to you deal with so much that is soft and squishy. I like how you said that. It's soft and squishy, yet I know you're someone who highly values systems and healthy structures. so how have you incorporated those two together because I think people view systems as rigid and hard and there's not space for the soft yeah diametrically
0: opposed to the soft yeah like these two (laughs) don't
1: go together and yet they have to in the work that we do
2: oh this is like super yummy for me and one of the most favorite things because I am probably when I'm described by people I sometimes tend to be a little more on the system side more rigid Less soft and squishy. I had to learn the behavior of really working to listen and hear what people aren't saying, you know, in those systems. Mm. So the system, systems thinking can be in place, right? Like, um, you know, there's a seven, S, uh, seven uh, McKinsey 7S strategy, where we're looking at, you know, systems and people and you know, um, structure and and all of those things inside of a system. But when we think about uh, being the, you know, soft and squishy, we have the overarching operational element for how we function as a system. But then inside of that system, we're still working with people who make that work happen. So, for example, um, you know, when I think about people, we put in place. Um, it, it, it's a mental model for me, but uh, a meeting to me, right. Um, So there's a a guy, and if if anyone's listening and they want to look it up, uh, Dick Axelrod, um, he wrote a book and I'm kind of looking for it on my bookshelf, but I can't quite see it. (laughs) He wrote a book um, and the book was called This Meeting, Meeting With You Like This Is Killing Me or uh, something along (laughs) that line. And um, ultimately it it was a framework for how we meet with people and um, If we thought about it, his framework, the meeting canoe is very, it's a structure, right? It's a system. And it talks about how you open a meeting as opposed to coming into a meeting and jumping right into it. You open the meeting with a check-in. You know, people walk into space holding weights. You know, so we check in, we let whatever might be holding them back um, be released in that meeting so that the meeting can progress. Um, He has other structures in that meeting canoe one of the other structures, um, which is a, is a system format, looking at uh, how people function, um, what you have to bring to the table and what you wanna raise and what we've already satisfied. So that is in itself is a system, but inside of that operation, we're also making room for uh, hearing the voice of the people. And that's something that's very important is the intentionality behind being able to be that warm, you know, person, that warm voice. I've talked more with teams about COVID, the first 30 minutes of uh, meetings in the last year or so. Um, Even to date, I walk into spaces and I give people that 30, 40 minute space to kind of, and I say 30, 40 minutes because, you know, folks have had people who perished, who transitioned as a result of this. So I make space so that we can also be human at work because ultimately most of most of the people that you know i've engaged with who are running systems we see our colleagues on these now devices more hours in a day than sometimes we see our own family you know think about it like you're in the workforce and um you know and in the workforce or in the office before we, we we came in you were commuting several hours throughout the day You know, having lunch and breakfast, probably at work with your colleagues. So, um, you know, making space for that warm and healthy interaction has been vitally important. So, yeah, um, we can we can have both, you know, and it's a very nice world with both as well.
0: Yeah, that (laughs) book that you were talking about reminds me of another book that I read a while back called Death by Meeting. And just yes. like <laughs> I was like, I can relate. I can re- I can relate to to that. I think a lot of people can relate to the
2: mm-hmm. when
0: when the systems become so cold and they don't have the warm, squishy human side. It's like, what's the point of doing work with other people? We could just work with robots, you know. Mm-hmm. But there is so much strength in in just being people with each other. Um, but on the flip side of that where it's just the soft and squishy it's hard to get things done <laughs> right we've absolutely. all been in meetings too where it's like what did we even accomplish it like what did we do we were just sort of sat here and talked about nothing for a long time and then we didn't actually figure out where we were going next so it, yeah I, I love that it's a it's a marriage of the two right the the two need to come together in order to move things forward That's absolutely really, really awesome. and i
2: want to make sure i make this correction the book titles let's stop meeting like this um, Dick and Emily Axelrod. The interesting thing is, is they have these things on the front. <laughs> right. oh. Skeletons, of people have died on the front <laughs> right. in the meeting. That's a great it, book cover. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool book, but it's just what you said. A great example of uh, what you shared was sitting in a meeting and not getting done, not getting out of it what you would like to have. So that intentional component. So we come, we have a, an agenda set. An agenda is a part of a system, right? You know, I've been in I've been in meetings um, with leaders as a support, as a coach, as a mediator, where there is no agenda. There's no real means to an end. Like I want to talk about these high points, and then that's it. Um, but, you know, I've worked with folks who I'm saying, let's make it more intentional and bring some structure to this so that you have a top, a bottom, a side, and a middle <laughs> so that you really get out of out of this what you want. And more importantly, in those spaces, you have room to get buy-in from your people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause that's also some place where we, we go wrong is we don't believe that as leaders, we need buy-in from the people. You know, I've hired you, you're here, I'm telling you what to do now, you should do it, as you said earlier, but you know, um, that buy-in is uh, tremendously important.
0: Right, it's the difference between them just getting the bare minimum done and doing an Mm -hmm. excellent job and loving what they do and feeling good about it.
2: Absolutely.
0: That is so good. I want to go back to this because you mentioned this really quick, but I want to learn more about this. You said that Mm -hmm. as leaders we, we, or as people, we have multiple touches, different things that are affecting uh, how how we make our decisions. And as leaders, we we have maybe a couple of those touches. So we can't necessarily like just control everything about a person, regardless of how much we might want to do that. Sometimes <laughs> it's like, how do you find yourself, uh, you know, working within those multiple touches? Because they have a lot of different things going on, family and friends and social structures and, uh, you know, other issues going on right so how how have you found to navigate that when you're working with motivating people
2: so that's a great question one of the things that um, I do is one I go back to the source of purpose like what are you doing this for you know like what is so with an organization it's looking at the mission vision value um, the values of the organization and you know in in consulting any larger group understanding like why are you ultimately here? If it's a department or a team, essentially, what is the function of this team? What are you design and purpose to do? So that that's the foundation, or as my auntie would say, the root, <laughs> the root, the root <laughs> of the of the thing. You know, it's the basis of what it is. And I think that also stands true for people as well. Once mm. we circle back down to your foundation. Your friends, your family, your lifestyle, the way you spend your money, your work—all um, of it usually boils back down to your why, right? Like mm-hmm. what your purpose is, you know, in life, what your purpose is in family. Um, and I usually start there first. And when I say the, you know, multiple touches and um, in the world, you know, people do carry weight. I remember there was one point in my life where I was dealing with a divorce. Um, the loss of my best friend, my, I lost my best friend suddenly. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I had to travel abroad at the same time. So I'm like going to Amsterdam uh, during that time. Wow. And, um, and then when I came back just two days later, lost my grandmother.
0: Oh um, my in addition Ugh.
2: to that, all of that was happening while working on a government project that was like a $3 million project and I was in graduate school, and I had to. <laughs> oh <my> <laughs> <gosh>. <laughs> and you know, like if I forgot, I'm also a mother. You know, <laughs> if I happen to forget that as well, so I was holding the the container for all of those things. And one of the things that I do is encouraging any leader is don't forsake the idea of asking for help. Is because mm. I felt like I needed to carry and bear the brunt of that alone, but as I'm holding those containers, I had a community of people around me that um, I could look to for help. So, you know, when I'm working with anyone, you know, I'm encouraging them to seek out, like, who can support you in those areas? And when I did that, even for myself, you know, I had friends come over and cook dinner and people came and cleaned my house. And I mean, it was just amazing um, what I saw happen. You know, if I asked, you know, the word I believe in says we have not because we ask not, you know, and ultimately I found myself in a space where I was so tight-lipped because of shame and embarrassment and, you know, feeling like my cape is already flapping in the wind, so people (laughs) know I have it. So I I just figured, you know, I have this under control and I really didn't, Mm. I needed support. So um, one thing I would say with all of those things is lean into your community. Our community holds us accountable. Our community gives us voice. Our community um, also pushes us when we find ourselves not able to push ourselves. So, um, you know, leaning into that community is something that uh, I often encourage my coaches to do. Mm
1: -hmm. I know that you work a lot with, I mean, you have a broad spectrum of people that you work with, but one of the groups is like um, pastors um, and that kind of thing. When you are advising them to like lean into your community and asking for help, how do you go about doing that? Because I know from having a ministry background, sometimes the leaning into that community is especially scary because it becomes so vulnerable and that you're trying to lead people from like this extra depth as well. So how do you kind of bring in those conversations
2: yes 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 so right now for that's a a really great example um and i like that question because this leans also in the space of executive leaders and i remember being at an executive level and not having anyone in the place of work where i could go talk to when I had those real big frustrations, like I couldn't go to lunch and ch- chat it over with my staff, you know, <laughs> you know, like I, you know, like it wasn't something where when I was married I could come home and just divulge all of like I couldn't just lay that out, right? You, know, you, you did, don't want to but, poison the well. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> um, so ultimately, um, what I would uh, also say is, at that peer level, finding someone else who understands. Who can have that conversation so i often would talk to other leaders in different agencies or in different spaces so um like right now i'm working with uh i just did a a presentation with about 27 bishops apostles pastors and um they have one another in that space so when it comes to things that are very scary like I might have to terminate someone or let someone go or they're not functioning well or, you know, um, it looks like we're about to have our budget cut and we have to cut 30 jobs or 100 jobs like that conversation should be had with colleagues who are in your peer group. So those other executives so networking with folks. who are at your peer level, who can offer you wisdom, um, strategic counsel in those areas to say the least, but definitely who can also hold what you offer in confidence. Um, that's vitally important. So being able to maintain that level of confidence with what you share, because sometimes the sharing isn't about the organization, but it's also about yourself. You know, like mm-hmm. you can feel broken yeah. in a place like I'm leading leaders sometimes get in a space where they lead and don't know what to do. Like I legit, like don't know what to
0: do. <laughs> I was going to say know, sometimes.
2: Like, <laughs> yeah, like I don't know what to do in this instance. So, you know, being in a space where it's, um, a judgment free zone, you know, and the confidence to know that someone else has either been there or is who, or is also going through that as well. And, um, You know, uh, making making those communities if you don't already have one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love what you just said there, too, because I think leaders have a tendency to just try to do it all themselves and to Mm -hmm. not find them and kind of feel like, oh, well, it's lonely at the top. They just say it's lonely at the top. So I just got to have to, you know, take 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 it as it is. And it's not it's doesn't have to be lonely at the top because there's somebody else who's at the top somewhere else. Mm-hmm. if you can find each other then you actually have people who understand one of my, one of my best friends is the owner of a business and it's it's just so nice because we just get each other and we can talk about things that mm-hmm. you know i'm not gonna necess- i'm not going to judge him it's in a different industry you know but at the same time he can get stuff off his chest i can get stuff off of my chest but It's not hurting his business to tell me about it, (laughs) like, unlike it would be if he was talking to one of his employees, right? right? And, uh, and vice versa, I could talk about the things that are going on with my business and like how the, you know, how the pay structures are working or whatever. And it's not like, it's not going to cause problems, but it's so good to have someone to share with. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky, like Lisa and I, we run pretty much everything together, but like, not everybody has that luxury either, but even even still...
1: Even still, I need a woman <laughs> sometimes to talk to. You. Yeah, I, I need a dude. I Someone need a, I'm I need not trying to work with.
0: <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's different when you also have to share dish cleaning responsibilities and house cleaning and homeschooling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, earlier, you were talking about how the the why is so central and core, and we're a, like, we agree with that 100%. because mm-hmm. When we talk with Uh, our clients about this stuff that's that's at the core of our thing too you have to know you have to start with why you have to know why you're there because you can you can work all around in your organization you can get really busy and do lots of stuff but if it's not coming from that grounded foundation of why Mm. you're there not only is that gonna hurt your ability to accomplish things but everybody around you is gonna see that Mm -hmm. and they're they're they can feel it, whether or not they understand what's going on. They, they just feel like you're a husk of a person doing <laughs> doing this job or doing this mission.
1: Well, where... I think you can be doing the right work, but not doing the work right. Yeah. And I think that's,
0: that's a big thing. That's yeah. a really big
2: thing. That's huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're doing the right work and not doing the work right. I like that a lot. It's, that happens often. Yeah. Mm-hmm yes yes and and i've and i've been in organizations who have such a hard and it's interesting it's such a hard have the funding and still not able to meet outcomes or their desired matrix uh isn't in place and um yeah not doing the work right can very much be very critical um and and it's it's not just the work minus the people. Cause we could do a phenomenal job at serving our communities and our nonprofits um, in serving and in, in being able to pull resources. One of the things that I think often forgets in that uh, is forgotten in that is that people are assets too. And going mm. back to the earlier part that we talked about um, with you know, frontline staff, like I, I was trying to, to look up the stat that I found a while ago on um, employee disengagement, you know, and the doing the work, uh, doing the work right, you know, as we serve those in the community and understanding our frontline that, um, that service line base or that middle management base how are we able to treat them as assets and recognize that as they continue to do the work and serve because when you pour out of yourself into people you definitely need to be poured back into Mm -hmm. and um i think sometimes that's a component that's very much missing and that's what i hear often in my ear (laughs) yes (laughs) that's good lisa
1: oh That's definitely, oh my gosh. I feel like we could talk forever and ever and ever, (laughs) but I do know that we're kind of getting toward the end of our time. So Sharita, we have one question that we like to ask all of our podcast guests. And that is, what does the idea of building a legacy mean to you?
2: I love this question. Um, What does it mean to me? Uh, So yesterday my aunt turned, well she turned 81 on Friday. And um, this was my uh, grandfather's, um, his sister-in-law and, or sister in love is what we like to say. (laughs) And uh, she's one uh, who's one of the few who's left. And, you know, we just cherish her and I, I'm gonna share this personally and professionally if that's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So personally, uh, legacy for me I come from a family of people who were not well educated, didn't have a lot of money. And, you know, growing up uh, with a young mother, I kind of had a chance to see this from the elders because the elders were the ones who came to get me often. They would come pick me up. And I saw my grandfather not have education, not own a home, you Mm -hmm. know, no driver's license or car. And, you know, now I have a 19 year old who's uh, making almost $40,000 a year you know like and you know uh, myself who's become educated and when i sit down and have conversations with my son i do it in remembrance of those who came before and i said you know they have offered up prayer Words of encouragement and support in in a in a realm of life that you will never see or understand, and it's Mm -hmm. our job to continue that legacy by carrying what we do for the generations of those who we will never see and who will never know us. So you know we are sending messages to the future that we will never see or know, and you know I think a lot of that um, also with business as well is um, I had a goal when I first started my business to touch 180,000 people. Um, and my goal was I want to impact um, one leader who have many touches with, you know, a, a multitude of people. Mm-hmm. And and then when I thought about it, and uh, I would listen to, you know, maybe one of my coaches say, I held a session and I talked to these people, and this person's life was changed. And I'm like, there's a lifespan of that and a legacy that's created that I'll know nothing about. Mm-hmm. You know, on paper, I get people to say, you know, well, as a leader, how many people do you lead? And um, like the group I worked with last week, they were uh, leading about 3000 people. And I said, this is phenomenal. You know, I'm touching 3,000 people, but I'm really not. And the legacy of it is, is that if I can have significant impact on one human being, one person, that 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 may ricochet and ripple through the a lifespan that I know nothing of. And for me, that's what legacy is. You know, mm-hmm. that someone can say a few words or have an impact on you. You know mild years <laughs> from in the future or in the past and that information still carry weight you know in the future so um if it all makes sense, it's our ability to speak life into the future or generations of those that we will never get a chance to see, touch hands with, hug, or hold. Um, but our legacy and what we have to offer beyond monetary legacy um, mm-hmm. lives on. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. That lo- was awesome. Yeah. I
0: love that answer. Sending <laughs> messages, sending messages to the future. That is For so them. cool. It's
1: such a cool way to think about it. And, yeah, It's absolutely. totally true. We have this conversation about, like, our ancestors and um, mm-hmm. just different people. And there are things that I'm like, I do this today because my grandma couldn't do it. And not, like, a debt, but in an honoring. Like, I move forward because she paid the price, so it was possible.
0: Yeah, and there were things your your grandma was thinking ahead, saying, like, I want my granddaughter to be able to. She was sending a message to the future to you. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of our responsibility to continue that and send, continue to send messages and not let those messages stop with us. Yeah. But yeah. to keep them I know moving.
2: This is, this is about business, but I got all
0: chilly I'm like, "Ooh, I like that." Yeah. No, it's I like <laughs> it, it's it's the squishy side, right? We got to yeah. be soft and squishy too. It's okay to get chills <laughs> in business.
1: Yeah. It is, especially <laughs> when your heart's in it.
0: Absolutely. Um it
1: so, Sharita, where can our listeners find you? Because I'm sure after hearing this, they're like, "I, I want to know, know more." more.
2: Yes, yes, so I'm on Instagram at Chief Igniter. (laughs) I'm the Chief Igniter Uh, on Instagram. I can also be found on Facebook at um, Facebook backslash the Igniter's Institute. Um, And uh, I also have a Facebook group where I jump on board and I have weekly sessions, weekly talks uh, about leadership, and especially leadership for the christian leader um it's um ignite 180 uh as well and then my website is very long <laughs> but it's uh www.theignitersinstitute.com.
0: awesome and we'll have all of those in the show nights show notes for all of our listeners to be able to pop in and check those things out we highly recommend you go and learn more about sharita and the igniters institute because this has been super awesome just mm-hmm. just this conversation I feel like I've downloaded like terabytes of information yeah. into my brain. Thank um, you so much. Yeah, this has been super fun. Thank you so much for being with us and for yes, uh, being a guest on the podcast, Sharita.
2: Thank you and I appreciate uh, you for having me here on today.